Take a sip of this. What are you drinking? Jack and Coke, because I haven't got food bar. Hey, so welcome to the show. We have not said this in a long time here. Welcome to the private zoo. Yeah, people. Welcome to the private zoo where madness ensues <laughs> <laughs> i'm drinking good german beer i'm drinking some uh jack and coke tennessee whiskey and today on the show eric this is going to be weird this is going to be real weird this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be weird we're gonna we're gonna try to get into this though we're talking about ge Kincaid, and if you don't know about him just sit back take a listen because this is could be Nazis. It could be Nazis. Somehow. It could be something worse than Nazis. I so want to relate this to Nazis, and I'm, I'm going to get there somehow. I, I'm, I'm going to try hard to get there, right? So let's get into this. This is an old story. On April 5th of 1909, Eric, the Arizona Gazette ran a story about two possibly Smithsonian-funded archaeologists uh, by the names of Professor S.A. Jordan and G.E. Kincaid claiming to have found a cave in the Grand Canyon that was full of mummified humans and Egyptian and East Asian artifacts. I mean, that's the basis of the story, right? But before we get into that, let's get into the Grand Canyon a little bit itself, a little bit of history, right? This thing is 277 miles long and up to 18 miles wide. Did you know that? That's impressive. Impressive. It has an average depth of, of a mile. And this is what I find funny. This is coming from uh, the uh, government website. I forget which one, uh, the forest website or whatever. But it took three to six million years to form. That's a great big difference right there, man. Three to six million. Wow. There's approximately 70 species of mammals, 250 species of birds, 25 types of reptiles, and five species of amphibians formed by the Colorado River. I think we all know that. And the first people living in the canyon were the Paleo-Indian, ancient Native American people about 12,000 years ago uh, because we have tools that we can carve and date, right? Yep. Other fun facts about the Grand Canyon. Gets about close to 5 million visitors a year currently. 5 million people come and look at this thing, right? And because I love donkeys, and I know you do too. Absolutely. One law, the state of Arizona, says that it is illegal, which I think is completely wrong, illegal to keep a donkey in your bathtub. Wow, really? Dude's got to I mean, hang out, take a bath, man, Bubbles. You know what I mean? Bubbles the donkey. Wow. All right, let's get into the article that was published, right? This is where the whole story comes from. But before we get into the main article, we're going to get into the first article. Most people that know about G.E. Kincaid don't realize there was actually a first article published about what was happening. So on March 12th of 1909, the same newspaper, the Arizona Gazette, reported an earlier phase of Kincaid's adventure. And it reads like this. G.E. Kincaid reaches Yuma. He arrived in Yuma after a trip from the Green River down the entire course of the Colorado River. He is the second man to make this journey and came along in a small skiff stopping at his pleasure to investigate the surrounding country. 
He left Green River in October, having a small covered boat with oars and carrying a fine camera, with which he secured over 700 views of the river and canyons, which were unsurpassed. Mr. Kincaid says one of the most interesting features of the trip was passing through the sluiceways at Laguna Dam. He made this perilous passage with only the loss of one oar. Some interesting archaeological discoveries were unearthed, and altogether the trip was of such interest that he will repeat next winter in the company of friends. Interesting, right? This article gets published, like I said, on March 12th, 1909. He says he's going to come back next winter with a couple friends. Now comes the main article. And April 5th of 1909, a month later, and this is the article right here that was in the Arizona Gazette that throw people up in arms in search for a cave in the Grand Canyon that is full with treasure, more or less, right? Mummified bodies, ancient artifacts, the whole deal. One month after he said he's coming back next winter, he was back. Now he's got a buddy with him, right? This article is entitled Explorations in the Grand or in Grand Canyon Mysteries of Immense High Cavern Being Brought to Light. We need to talk about this article first. The Arizona Gazette. If you're a newspaper publisher, don't you think as a reporter, Eric, you would want to I mean, we say our names. I'm Steve, you're Eric. Every time we talk, we give our names out, right? Absolutely. As a newspaper reporter, wouldn't you want to have your name published in the newspaper for such an article it, i mean i would i would because i want want somebody else to claim it and you know take my glory from me basically but that's not what happened here no it's no byline nobody claimed responsibility for writing this article i think at the very beginning of this controversy that that begins what's wrong with this story right right who wrote it yeah why they write it is it true is it not true and why only the phoenix gazette i mean arizona arizona gazette arizona arizona gazette um obviously something so big wouldn't have been found in other newspapers mainstream chicago new york at the time huge and bustling and it's just in this one yeah, I mean, the Arizona Gazette was a, a very highly respected newspaper at the time, from my understanding. But just the beginning of that, just without the name of the, the guy who wrote it, is what right. what throws me off. So, like I said, explorations in, the, in Grand Canyon, mysteries of immense high cabin being brought to light. Jordan is enthused. Remarkable finds indicate ancient people mi- migrated from Orient. The latest news of the progress of the explorations of what is now regarded by scientists as not only the oldest archaeological discovery in the United States, but one of the most valuable in the world, which was mentioned some time ago in the Gazette. Assuming they're talking about the Arizona Gazette, Eric, that was only one month before, right? Right. It was brought to the city yesterday by G.E. Kincaid, the explorer who found the great underground citadel in the Grand Canyon during a trip from the Green River, Wyoming, down the Colorado, in a wooden boat, to Yuma several months ago. Yet again, the first article was published one month ago. 1909, March to April, right? Right. According to the story related to the Gazette by Mr. Kincaid, 
the archaeologist uh, of the Smithsonian Institute, which is financing the expeditions, controversy there going on, have made discoveries which almost conclusively prove that the race which inhabited this mysterious cavern, honed in solid rock by human hands, was of oriental origin, possibly from Egypt, tracing back to Ramses, if their theories are borne out by the translation of the tablets engraved with hieroglyphics, the mystery of the prehistoric peoples of North America, their ancient arts, who they were and whence they came will be solved. Egypt and the Nile and Arizona and the Colorado will be linked by a historical chain running back to the ages which staggers the wild fancy of the fictionist. So, under the direction of Professor S.A. Jordan, the Smithsonian Institute is now prosecuting the most thorough explorations which will be continued until the last link in the chain is forged. Nearly a mile underground, about 1,480 feet below the surface, the long main passage has been delved into to find a mammoth chamber from which radiates scores of passageways like the spokes of a wheel. Could you imagine that, walking into that? It'd be astounding. First, you got to climb up 1,480 feet. Right. All right. And then, apparently, several hundred rooms have been discovered, reached by passageways, running the main passage, one of them having been explored for 854 feet and another 634 feet. The recent finds include articles which have never been known as native to this country, and doubtless they had, had their origin in the Orient. War weapons, copper instruments, sharp edged and hard as steel indicate the high state of civilization reached by these strange people. So interested had the scientists become that preparations are being made to equip the camp for extensive studies and the force will be increased to 30 or 40 persons. All right, so now what we got is we got G.E. Kincaid, right, coming from Yuma, traveling down the Colorado himself, looking up, taking 700 and whatever pictures he took, and seeing a cave. Going into the cave, finding mummified bodies, taking a picture by flashlight, and taking some of those things out. All right, this was 1909, Eric. Yeah, 1909. In Arizona. He was apparently the the second person ever to traverse the Colorado River. Ever. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, this is such a a conspiracy. Like, everything's kind of shrouded in either doubt or fact, but uh, just to throw in there, there was another guy, Seth Tanner, that is a legitimate person. There is a Tanner Trail in Grand Canyon. He is a known explorer, and uh, he was, the story goes that he was actually blinded by the Hopi Indians. He was actually had two wives that were Hopi Indians. He was Mormon. He went to this cave, but since he was a white man, he was supposed to die. The, the Indians didn't want him to know about this stuff, and evidently he saw it as well. But, well, G.E. Kincaid came from, I'm, I'm thinking Iowa or Idaho, I forget off the top of my head, being the firstborn white in that city, apparently. I don't think it's true, though, because you got Seth Tanner that was there in the 1890s, and he was a white man. That's interesting. Why don't, why don't we get into, now we're talking about the history of who has traveled up and down, who may have seen this cave. Right, and there's another guy, John Wesley Powell, who found another cave. 
that's exactly who I was getting ready to get into. So John Wesley Powell was the first that we know of, of European descent that, okay. that actually traveled the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River. There was another man named Joseph Christmas Ives. He actually began the journey in 1857 or 58, but he, he had a steamboat on the Colorado. Could you imagine? Steamboat, Colorado River. Right. Crazy, man. But he crashed his steamboat at a place called Black Canyon, uh, not yet in the Grand Canyon itself, but he, he got a little uh, little boat, went on 30 miles, and then continued on foot, and he actually reached the, can uh, the canyon at a place called Diamond Creek. So technically, he saw the Grand Canyon itself, but he may, both of them were not the first ones to actually see it. There was well, see, but, but I'm reading something here. John Wesley Powell wrote in his report to the government, which he also published in a book, that the cave was found and there was a shrine in artifacts. And we continued to survey the canyon and discovered more Egyptian tunnel cities. I estimate in my report that I think upwards of 50,000 Egyptians had inhabited the Grand Canyon at one time. Now, supposedly, this is from Powell, who never saw the caves. But it's a different cave than Kincaid's. Well, Powell actually found, there is another cave that Powell found. And in what I'm reading, supposedly there was also Egyptian artifacts. Well, maybe maybe that cave that he found was also full. See, this is where it gets crazy. This is where the madness begins, right? Right. I mean, even, you know, I, I read a, at one point in one of these articles, the Egyptian prime minister contacted the U.S. government. And this is, you know, he and it was his first term of office from January of 1884 to June of 1888 contacted the U.S. government and said, hey, if you find Egyptian stuff there, that's ours. I want it back. Wow. That's for, I would like to get a hold of that letter to actually put it on our, on our website or whatever. Right. Wouldn't that be nuts? Let's, get, let's dive deeper in the history, too. So we already had, uh, um, we're talking about John Wesley Powell. We got uh, Joseph Chris Ives. And now we get into... Spaniards. So a, okay. a whole bunch of Spaniards under d the direction of Francisco Vasquez. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, they actually may have been the first Europeans to actually see the canyon in 1540. Now, just like you said, John Wesley Powell was apparently the first to actually traverse the canyon on the river. By, te by today's standard, technology, not the same. But they had a great force behind them. They had army be armies behind them. They had a lot of people. John Wesley Powell, he actually started his first trip on May 24th, 1869. He had some ex-trappers, a bunch of mountain men, Civil War vets like himself. And Powell actually, uh, did you know this? He had actually lost half of his arm in the Civil War. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, And then on the second trip in May, of, uh, May 22nd, 1871, he had another crew. But this time he had scientists and educa educated men and federal funding. So not unlike the Spaniards, I mean, the Spaniards aren't going to go out and just say, hey, hey, Francois, go out and just take this boat and go. Yeah? Of course they would have right. done that. So I definitely, I would, uh, you got to read about Powell, I think. Okay. I, I would urge you to read more about Powell because he did some great things. These people, Powell and Powell eventually wound up having a great force behind him. He had the, the federal funding, army, the whole deal. Boats full of food, the whole deal. 
Of course, you would expect the Spaniards would have had the same thing. And yet, Kincaid, the second guy to ever do this, Powell being the first, Kincaid being the second, went down the Colorado by himself. By himself. Everybody else needed all these people. Failed one time. Next guy made it. And now this guy's going to do it by himself. Only losing one oar. Now, John Wesley Powell, actually, with bunches of people that were around him, he actually called the Grand Canyon our granite prison because he almost died in the canyon. Right. But Kincaid did it himself. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let, I tell you what. Let's listen to Kincaid himself explaining how this thing began. Okay. Play it away. First, I would impress that the cavern is nearly inaccessible. The entrance is 1,486 feet down the sheer canyon wall. It is located on government land and no visitor will be allowed there under penalty of trespass. The scientists wish to work unmolested without fear of archaeological discoveries being disturbed by curio or relic hunters. A trip there would be fruitless and the visitor would be sent on his way. The story of how I found the cavern has been related but in a paragraph. I was journeying down the Colorado River in a boat, alone, looking for mineral. Some 42 miles up the river, from the El Tavar Crystal Canyon, I saw on the east wall stains in the sedimentary formation about 2,000 feet above the riverbed. There was no trail at this point, but I finally reached it with great difficulty. Above a shelf which hid it from view from the river was the mouth of the cave. There are steps leading from this entrance some 30 yards to what was, at the time the cavern was inhabited, the level of the river. When I saw the chisel marks on the wall inside the entrance, I became interested, securing my gun, and went in. During that trip, I went back several hundred feet along the main passage till I came to the crypt in which I discovered the mummies. One of these I stood up and photographed by flashlight. I gathered a number of relics which I carried down the Colorado to Yuma, from whence I shipped them to Washington with details of the discovery. Following this, the explorations were undertaken. That's a really interesting, you know, tidbit that we just heard from Mr. Kincaid. But where, what my question is um, with the report itself, uh, the first paragraph alone, um, you know, he's saying it's inaccessible. It's, you know, almost 1,500 feet down, sheer canyon wall. But it's located on government land where we're not allowed under penalty of trespass because the scientists wish to work unmolested and without fear of, you know, relic hunters or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, that happened. But here's the question. But, like what we talked about. Yeah, the first article was published in March, the second in uh, April, right? So within that month, it's now armed and guarded by the government. That's what makes this case interesting. Like, there comes a point, like, you have to say, is the daggone thing even there? Because it's, it sounds like nonsense almost, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just crazy. So obviously what we he, we just heard from Mr. Kincaid, what he's talking about is after the discovery and now all it, it's going by memory. And I mean, it even goes, you know, uh, the visitor would be sent on his way. So why go there? And it's almost like they're telling us not to go looking for it because it's not real. It's like he's trying to hide it. But maybe it is. That's the point, right, too. But it's like, you know, what the heck's going on here? Yeah, and exactly. And even then, why would you publish a fine? It's like, uh, you know, Area 51 in Roswell when the alien went down. Do you think the government would have published a paper saying, hey, we found aliens, but guess what? Uh, don't come look. 
Right. Yeah. So at this point, it sounds pretty hard to believe at this point. Don't you think? Yeah. Did they even have flashlights in 1909? I'm sure they, they had this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I guess. Well, I mean, they had 1911s, so I guess, you know, right around that time. So, yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> so, anyway, as I mentioned before, the Spaniards and the this is going to get interesting for you, Eric, probably. The direction of Francisco Vasquez, they visited the area near the canyon. In 1540, the Spaniards found the adobe-built houses of the, how do you say it? How? Happy. Hoppy. 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 It's spelled so different. Maybe Hoppy, Hopi, Hoopy. So uh, Vasquez then dispatched Don Pedro Tavoa. I said that with the German accent. I don't know why. To a village northwest of their campsite. There they learned of the Great River, right? This is how they're finding about it. Tavoa, or Tova, returned to the campsite to inform Francisco Vasquez, who then sent a group out to explore the area. The uh, Spaniards, they tried to get across the gap, but they, they couldn't do it because uh, it was too steep, and they just mm-hmm. didn't manage. So, like I said, Kincaid claims to have found the cave 42 miles up the river from the El Tova Crystal Canyon. That's what he just said, right? That's what we just heard. Yeah, that's what we just heard. Uh, all right, now there's much discussion about this, right? Where is the El Tova Crystal Canyon? Could... The name of Don Pedro Tavoa, could it have lingered into 1909? Like, was his exploration or his his finding of the these camps, there's actually a couple camps that he went and talked to that we, I just, we don't have time to get into it. Could his name have lingered and then gone into 1909? Now, this seems possible, but the El Tovar Hotel was built on the southern rim of the canyon. And it opened on January 14th, 1905. Okay. Four years before Kincaid's article was published, right? Right. So the question is, could he have stayed in that hotel? Kincaid? Yeah. Right. It's right on the rim of the canyon. It's on the southern rim of the canyon. Is it still there? It is. I, I believe it is. I believe it is. Okay. Wow. And from the windows of the hotel, you can see something called Crystal Creek, apparently. I've never been there, but it looks like you can see Crystal Creek. So now we have the El Tovar Hotel in Crystal Creek, and he said he found the El Tovar Crystal Canyon. El Tovar Hotel, Crystal Canyon. Two different things built into the same sentence, right? So if we assume, though, that he could have seen that from the hotel, and then he went 42 miles upstream and however many feet high, is the hotel the starting point? It could be. But we're not there, so. Well, it should be easy enough to find it then. I mean, we could we could literally figure this thing out right now. Right. We have the power of Google. Well, we yeah, we got, well, there's a guy on that went and actually did Google Earth, and he says he found it, too. But we got um, all, the, all the information we need back to 1540, that the Spaniards found it, the guy who found it, who reported to somebody else, a hotel that was built. And then we got the Crystal Creek name. We should we should just be able to go about our way, shouldn't we? Great. I mean, it's all documented. Yeah, it should be easy enough. But why do we want to find it? Right? Right. Let's listen to Ken Kate again. The main passageway is about 12 feet wide, narrowing to 9 feet toward the farther end. About 57 feet from the entrance, the first side passages branch off to the right and left, along which on both sides are a number of rooms about the size of ordinary living rooms of today. 
though some are 30 by 40 feet square. These are entered by oval-shaped doors and are ventilated by round air spaces through the walls into the passages. The walls are about 3 feet 6 inches in thickness. Over a 100 feet from the entrance is the cross hall, several hundred feet long, in which are found the idol or image of the people's god, sitting cross-legged with a lotus flower or lily in each hand. The cast of the face is oriental and the carving this cavern. The idol almost resembles Buddha, though the scientists are not certain as to what religious worship it represents. Taking into consideration everything found thus far, it is possible that this worship most resembles the ancient people of Tibet. Surrounding this idol are smaller images, some very beautiful in form, others crooked-necked and distorted shapes, symbolically, probably, of good and evil. There are two large cactus with protruding arms, one on each side of the dais on which the god squats. All this is carved out of hard rock resembling marble. In the opposite corner of this cross hall were found tools of all descriptions made of copper. These people undoubtedly knew the lost art of hardening this metal, which had been sought by chemists for centuries without result. On a bench running around the workroom was some charcoal and other material probably used in the process. There's also slag and stuff similar to mat, showing that these ancient smelted ores, but so far no trace of where or how this was done has been discovered, nor the origin of the ore. Among the other finds are vases or urns and cups of copper and gold, made very artistic in design. The pottery work includes enameled ware and glazed vessels. Another passageway leads to granaries such as are found in oriental temples. They contain seeds of various kinds. One very large storehouse has not yet been entered, as it is twelve feet high and can be reached only from above. Two copper hooks extend on the edge, which indicates that some sort of ladder was attached. These granaries are rounded, as the materials of which they are constructed, I think, is a very hard cement. A gray metal is also found in this cavern, which puzzles the scientists for its identity has not been established. It resembles platinum. Strewn promiscuously over the floor everywhere are what people call cat's eyes, a yellow stone of no great value. Each one is engraved with the head of the melee type. Okay, Eric, so somewhere along the line, Kincaid hooks up with a guy named Professor S.A. Doran. Apparently it was in that one-month time frame, right? Who, right. Who he claims to be a Smithsonian-funded archaeologist now, now we get into the problems with the article. So, many, many people have researched Professor S.A. Jordan and G.E. Kincaid, and there, there's no connection between these people and the Smithsonian. And even if you look them up, you, I mean, what are you going to look up? G.E. Kincaid? That could be... My God, it could be George, anybody. Gregory. Yeah. yeah. And I actually came up with Greg, Scott, and George... <laughs> I couldn't fit an yeah. Eric in there. <laughs> but you get the point. So the question... G.E. Greg Eric. Oh, well, there you go. Greg, Greg, Greg Eric Kincaid. Gregory Eric Kincaid, which is funny because we are all in the same platoon together. Greg Eric and a guy named Kincaid. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. But, right. But you get the point. So it, it seems very vague, and it's like going back to the byline of the article. Nobody, There was no byline for the article. Nobody uh, accepted responsibility for it. And now the supposed artifacts, they've never been seen. And yet, with the, when the Smithsonian 
was asked about this. One person from the Smithsonian responded by saying, well, the first thing I can tell you before we go any further is that no Egyptian artifacts of any kind have ever been found in North or South America. Therefore, I can tell you that the Smithsonian Institute has never been involved in any such excavations. I, I hear that, but then I read stuff, and it's like, okay, well, why are the names Egyptian names? I mean, we got, you know, okay, it's called the Temple of Ra, and it's in the Grand Canyon. Oh, you're talking it's, about the peaks. The peaks. Yeah, the, the different peaks, and it's like... Well, why are these names there? I mean, you got Isis, Ra, what else you got? You got Ra, uh, yeah, some weird guy that has actually like three different names. But what's interesting is that this area is, uh, you know, was, uh, unfortunately it's not anymore, um, occupied by the Hopi Indian. And I've also read that there's a lot of very close parallels with the Hopi Indian language and the Egyptian language. You know what else is interesting? If you, if I'm not mistaken, yet again, if you look northwest, I'm thinking of maps here. If you look northwest from the El Tovar Hotel, you can see the Isis and Ra and all those Egyptian name things in the direction of the Crystal Canyon. Right. It kind of like all intertwines. I think if you, if if you were sitting there looking at a map, you could come up with a heck of a story, couldn't you? Absolutely. But what if, Eric, what if, what if the truth came out? And rewrite history. The Rothschild, Rothschild family. Oh, God, here we go. You know it's true. Yeah. The Illuminati, Eric. Yeah. Could it be? Go ahead, go ahead. Who controlled the Smithsonian? And tell them what to do. And yet, I'm other reading other articles. And I mean, yeah, I, I jump back to the, the Smithsonian. It's all about American ish, American stuff. You know, hey, look at this. This is what we found. Hey, this was in America. Look what we got. Hey, Our history's great. Hey, man, they got the the, the chair from Ar- Archie Bunker in there. Hey, right. I was just there the other day. Don't be uh, don't be too hard on. Yeah. I was literally there two days ago, and uh, the display room, which, you know, I've been there multiple times. I'm close to there. Um, you know, you go in one day, and it's like, oh, look at this, look at that. Oh, tax stamps. Okay, what's this? Why is this in here? That's American. I've read articles saying, you know, this is displayed at the Smithsonian, but it's clearly Egyptian. Why are we displaying it? Personally, I haven't seen it. There's a couple websites that delve into the Illuminati, of course. I mean, there's been books written about it. There's one called the Illuminati, which, hey, daggone good book. Angels and Demons, and then there's uh, the other one that he wrote. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm actually not sitting in my book room. I have, like, a book room. I'm not sitting in there currently. Right. I, I have both of the books. Yeah, I got all. I got three of them from him. Dan Brown. Dan Brown. Dan Brown, that's the man. Uh, great author. He was doing a historical thing about it, though. And playing with it a little bit. There are people who truly believe that the Illuminati controls the government. Right. I think we could pretty much say that the Smithsonian is, is controlled by the government because of the amount of funding that they receive from the federal government. I mean, a very, right. I don't, I was listening to something the other day and there's a very minuscule amount. They sell t shirts and pencils and maps and stuff. 
uh, a small amount, but a large amount comes through the federal budget. I mean, look, they got the spacecraft in there. Yeah, they got the Spirit of St. Louis in there. Yeah, I mean, so the, these are things that belong to the federal government that was given to them, so obviously they're they're getting money. Let's just listen to a little bit about uh, the Illuminati from a YouTuber or a YouTube network called Revelations Network. Okay. Well, another organization that the Illuminati uh, controls, uh, and it's actually an institution, would be the, uh, the Smithsonian. And the Smithsonian Institution, uh, basically here in the United States, is in control of a lot of ancient artifacts, history. Um, so they have they have multiple museums here in the United States, some in Washington, D.C., some in New York, um, and then other parts of the United States as well. But the Smithsonian Institution is controlled by the Illuminati. That's just another government entity that is controlled by the Illuminati. So... Um, but anyway, getting on with this, <clears throat> this isn't like a recent story. This is a story from about oh, about a hundred years ago, and it has to do um, with a gentleman by the name of G. E. Kincaid, and this happened back in 1909, and he basically made a startling discovery inside one of the cave entrances. Also, it's very interesting to point out that a lot of the stuff that Mr. Kincaid found inside the cave uh, entrance, um, you know, this stuff, you know, it's just like, how did it get there? You know, you're, you're kind of asking yourself, how did it get there? You know, you, you have to really think about this. You have to go back to before the flood. We all know that there was ancient technology that was even more advanced than it is right now. Okay, we all know that that's not something new that is, you know, being reported here. Um, but we all know that back in the days of Noah, um, basically ancient technology was there. You know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, flying, flying machines, things that flew, uh, you know. So getting from, you know, one place to another place, there's no possible way that you're going to walk all the way over here with all your stuff over to the Grand Canyon uh, you know it just doesn't make any sense obviously they flew over here there was ancient technology I mean you know and you know it's just like Jesus says in the Bible what has been will be again just like in the days of Noah it will be like this again and it is like this again folks it's like that today it's basically like this today so Eric, he was talking about that people couldn't have actually walked over here and they couldn't, they must have flown and whatever the hell, right? Yeah, I mean, he's bringing in, you know, the ancient alien theory, which even puts another twist onto this This show. whole thing, yeah. But, you know, there's a guy named Thor Heyerdahl, I th I'm hoping I'm saying his name right, that actually did an expedition in 1947. He sailed 8,000 kilometers or 5,000 miles across the Pacific Ocean in a hand-built raft. It's a true story. This guy actually did this. Yeah, the, it was a Kantiki expedition or something like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, Kantiki expedition. So the distance from the Grand Canyon village to Cairo is actually 7,292 miles. It's a little bit farther than the 5,000 miles, but it's possible. And if they got on these ships, right? these handmade mm -hmm. boats, and they brought stuff over, what would they bring? That's the question. Let's hear Mr. Kincaid once again and see what he finds. The tomb or crypt in which the mummies were found is one of the largest of the chambers, the walls slanting back at an angle of about 35 degrees. 
On these are tiers of mummies, each one occupying a separate hewn shelf. At the head of each is a small bench on which is found copper cups and pieces of broken swords. Some of the mummies are covered with clay and all are wrapped in a bark fabric. The urns or cups on the lower tiers are crude, while as the higher shelves are reached, the urns are finer in design, showing a later stage of civilization. It is worthy of note that all the mummies examined so far have proved to be male, no children or females being buried here. This leads to the belief that this exterior section was the warrior's barracks. Among the discoveries, no bones of animals have been found, no skins, no clothing, no bedding. Many of the rooms are bare, but for water vessels. One room, about 40 by 700 feet, was probably the main dining hall, for cooking utensils are found here. What these people lived on is a problem, though it is presumed that they came south in the winter and farmed in the valleys going back north in the summer. Upwards of 50,000 people could have lived in the caverns comfortably. One theory is that the present Indian tribes found in Arizona are descendants of the serfs or slaves of the people which inhabited the cave. Undoubtedly, a good many thousands of years before the Christian era, a people lived here which reached a high stage of civilization. The chronology of human history is full of gaps. Professor Jordan is much enthused over the discoveries and believes that the find will prove of incalculable value in archaeological work. One thing I have not spoken of may be of interest. There is one chamber of the passageway to which is not ventilated, and when we approached it, a deadly snaky smell struck us. Our light would not penetrate the gloom, and until stronger ones are available, we will not know what the chamber contains. Some say snakes, but other boohoo this idea, and think it may contain a deadly gas or chemicals used by the ancients. No sounds are heard, but it smells snaky just the same. The whole underground installation gives one of shaky nerves the creeps. The gloom is like a weight on one's shoulders, and our flashlights and candles only make the darkness blacker. Imagination can revel in conjectures and ungodly daydreams back through the ages that have elapsed till the mind reels dizzily into space. So uh, what I find interesting about that portion, and it was something that I said earlier in the show, um, you know, he... There's a quote in there where he reads upwards of 50,000 people could have lived in the caverns comfortably. But didn't the man before him, Powell, who found Powell's cave, who found Egyptian things and artifacts, didn't he write the same thing? That was actually in the, the article that was in the uh, Arizona Gazette. Yeah, upwards of 50,000 people could have lived in the caverns comfortably. Right, but I'm talking about Powell, who was there before Kincaid. Powell wrote the same thing for Powell's cave, upwards of 50,000 people. Well, Eric, that's what I'm getting at. Powell, it, it, so, Powell was before G.E. Kincaid. He's sitting at the El Toro, El Torvo um, Hotel. He's looking at the Crystal Canyon with all of these Egyptian names. Is it possible that somebody with an enormous ability to actually observe stuff came up with this great story? That's what I'm thinking, because, I mean, now now it's a conflict, because now you have two people writing the same work, or, supposedly. Or is the article that you read lying? Or is the one that we read lying? Yeah, I mean, that's why... And it's like, ah! And then we heard earlier from the Revelations Network about aliens. Yeah, which uh, Revelations Network, I mean, I, 
I know you're religious and everything, but isn't that a slap in the face to God what you're trying to preach? It's a, a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit with those guys. But, you know, they got their beliefs, and I'm down for the cause, man. They're doing their thing just like we are, and it's all good. But if they are right, if aliens were actually the ones bringing the Egyptians over, because, you know, you could do the thing with the antennas and the whole deal. And aliens. Well, I mean, it, 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 I mean, we go on a whole different subject with this. And we're going back to the Great Pyramids in Egypt and how they align with Orion's belt. Have you ever seen the size of those stones? I mean, there's pictures of people standing next to a stone, perfect 90-degree angles, and the stone is taller than that. That's exactly what and I'm it saying. it takes four or five people to make the length of it. So how deep? I mean, that's 28 tons? How did they move 28 tons? On wood? That's what I'm saying. With bronze and copper that's going to break? Alien technology. It could have been. Right. How'd they do it? And how did they move them up? The pyramid. Well, Eric, at the start of this show, we say we're going to go into Nazis. Mm. I'm going to tell you how. The Nazis had built a bell. Yes, they did. The bell was made for time traveling. Is it possible, because of the swastika, which has been seen in Egypt since forever, that the Nazis actually went back in history, showed the Egyptians how to build stuff, then took artifacts, and then went to the Grand Canyon... So they would have money in a cave when they took over America after the World War to sell. It's possible. You look at the Nazi bell and people, seriously, if you don't know about the Nazi bell, you really got (laughs) to read this um, because it goes into why we have a Nazi SS officer as the founder of, you know, like the president of NASA. And he created the V2 rocket. And how come we couldn't do that? But he did very easily. But then you go into other things and you look at prehistoric text and the same shape, the same bell is found India, China. Dude, Eric, maybe that's... Our own Capitol building resembles the Nazi bell. Maybe, maybe we found the answer to Kincaid's cave was the Nazi... Why do we have an obelisk as the Washington Monument and obelisks are found everywhere? These are all great questions, man. All great questions. So let's figure one thing out. We got G.E. Kincaid, S.A. Jordan, whose names, if you search, you don't find them. I think it's Steve and Greg Eric, (laughs) or Scott Greg Eric. It's something going on there. It seems fishy, but then you bring all this other stuff into the end of it, all these other beliefs, and yet the cave has never been found. It seems obvious enough to me where the thing should be. Some people claim to have found it. Some people say it's not there. At the end of the day, Eric, it's a great story. It really is. It really brings up a lot of questions once you start looking into it. So I tell you what, let's get off of here. I think we've, we've done enough damage to the internet tonight. What do you think? I agree. Throw out some thank yous to all the people that help us. Tommy Bishop for doing all the computer work when I watch too many bad things. Vanessa for helping me out and keeping me sane. Uh, Dave. Dave. Never forget Dave. Dave is just awesome. Dave doesn't do much, but he's a pretty cool dude. So I hang out with him. And the voice of G.E. Kincaid, Mr. Morgan Love, for doing all the great voice work. Thank you so much. Tom Slam, baby. Tom Slam. Love that recording. Played it in my car today, Bubba. Yeah. By the time you guys have heard this show, sorry enough, I've already uh, done a show with him. So, hey. It is what it is. I hope it went well. Let's look into the future and say it did. 
Yeah, and look up Tom Slam on YouTube, people. He's there. The, you know, the music's great. Come on. Yeah, man. Tom Slam, Tom Slam, Tom Slam all the time. And uh, you can, uh, I don't know, you can email us at private2podcast.com. Don't do much Twitter stuff, but it exists. Facebook, Private Zoo. And, uh, wow. Yeah, what do you think? I think it's time to go, but you still haven't thanked yourself. I did thank you. Did you thank me? Well, you haven't thanked me. I said... I guess I'm... You didn't thank me. Well, thank me, Eric. I did, Steve. Thank you. Thank me. That's what I said. Thank you, Eric. See you next time.